I'm good. I'm good. Hello, everyone. Um, we decided to record a little bit of an update for you guys on the Idaho college murders. Um, the reason why we're doing this is because there was sort of a big update after we had the guy arrested last week and then the probable cause affidavit came out um, once he got extradited back to Idaho and that gave us a lot of details. It's the probable cause, it's the affidavit done by the police uh, to get a arrest warrant from the judge. And so it lays out their case and the details and the evidence that they have about why they want to arrest this guy. And then the judge approves the warrant, which they then executed and arrested him and brought him back. So because of all that, um, we wanted to do a quick update on this. And this is sort of a what we know now like what where are we now what do we know um what we know so far and we're recording this on friday january 6 2023 and i compiled information from uh, multiple different sources so um trustworthy sources i not just like random rumors on tiktok um but um, a couple of reputable sources, Washington Post, Vox, things like that. Um, so what we're talking about is the um, I'm scrolling on my notes here. Uh, sorry, I scroll up. It's a lot of notes. Okay, so it was on um, sometime after midnight on November 13th of 2022 for University of Idaho students, Zana Kernoodle, Ethan Chapin, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Goncalves uh, were all viciously attacked while sleeping in an off-campus townhouse. Um as the criminal charges would later reflect that they were all stabbed and murdered with premeditation, with malice and forethought. Um, basically, first degree murder, stabbed. Um, seven weeks after that, they arrested this guy. Um, and so we're going to kind of go through what happened um, in all of that. So... Um, what do you think we should start with uh, the the murders? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the details of the murders. Uh, um. The so you've got these four students. They all live together. They're all they're all really good friends. Um. I think Zana and Ethan were a couple, and then um, Madison and Kaylee were also were like best friends. They did everything. They since like sixth grade lived together, went to school together, and then unfortunately then also died side by side um so they had they lived in this house it's like a three-story house um and they had gone out to a party they were it was like a normal saturday night for them they're all involved in the greek system so they'd gone to a fraternity party then they went out to uh the other girls went out to a bar um and then they hung out at a food truck and then by 2 a.m um everyone had gathered back at the house where they lived with two other, two of them had lived with two other roommates. 
a three-story house accessible primarily by a secure door with a coded entry that's on the bottom floor as well as a sliding glass door on the main level, which is like the second level. Uh, the lower entry was locked, but the sliding glass door might have been like accessible. Um, so they know then at 4 a.m., Kernodal ordered Jack in the Box. At 4.12 a.m., she was on the phone surfing TikTok. Sometime in the next few minutes after that, the attack began. She tried to fight off her attacker, but by 425, both she and her boyfriend would be um, dead. Um, so the killer did the attacking on the second and third floors of the house, of the house entering each of the victims' rooms for separate attacks. The housemates that were on the lowest floor, those he left alive. And one of them we found out from this probable cause affidavit actually saw him. Um, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, he had used um, what's called a K-bar knife. It's a style used in the Marine Corps, but there's no evidence he was ever in the Marine Corps. So um, just one of those things. Um There was nearby surveillance footage that captured audio of the attacks around 417, including like um, just what they called distress sounds and barking from the uh, the dog. No screaming, though. Um, as a, the the one roommate who witnessed this also said, <clears throat> told police that she heard noises and crying, but didn't understand what she was hearing. Um We'll get a little bit more into that. <laughs> um, so they haven't released the 911 call, but we know that at 11.58 a.m., um, there was a 911 call from the roommate's phone, and apparently multiple people were speaking to the dispatcher. They got um, they got there. They found that there was, you know, the the four murders. And then we all heard. Now, I don't know what you remember from the news Lexi about this or whatever, but I remember there was a lot of confusion about, okay, there's these people that were dead, but there's no ongoing threat to the community, but they can't really, they won't release anything else. Like what, if you have a suspect, but there's, is there a threat or is there not a threat? Yeah. I feel like it was very kind of jumbled. I never really understood what they were trying to say. Right. And I don't, and I think that was a problem. People were like, oh, they're bumbling idiots, blah, 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 blah. Well, what we know now from the probable cause affidavit is that um, they were actually doing a lot and they were keeping it all to inside for a reason. Um, so this is what also what we know from what the the what was released on the, in the affidavit. Police used DNA to identify the suspect. Now, police had previously said that they had tied him to the killings using DNA they found at the scene, but they, they hadn't dis declared disclosed what they found or, or anything about it. They just told us it was DNA. Now we're starting to go, oh, okay, maybe they do know what they're doing. Now we know what it was they discovered. It was DNA that was found on a button snap of the empty knife, knife sheath. And that's how they knew it was a K-bar because the sheath was tan and and um, tan and leather with the K-bar knives brand logo and the Marine Corps insignia on it. And that was on the sheath. So on the button on that... Um, button snap thing they found dna 
Um, an Idaho State lab had tested the DNA found on the sheath against a sample that Koberger's father D of of his father's DNA obtained by investigators from the family's home three days before he was arrested. <laughs> so the analysis there indicated a father-child match between the DNA samples. Um, that's the, the genetic genealogy aspect of this. Uh, authorities also said that they tracked his car movements and cell phone to his connection in the crime. Like, why were they following him? We So we have one of the victims was awake during the attack. Um, they say that the four victims and their two surviving roommates were all home and in their rooms by 4 a.m. They had previously said that the victims were asleep at the time of the attack, but the affidavit showed that at least Kernodal was awake at 4 a.m. when she received the DoorDash delivery of Jack in the Box. Minutes later, her phone record showed that she was on TikTok, indicating that she was awake at around the time the killer likely entered the house. Same time, the downstairs roommate heard noises from Goncalves' room and thought that she was playing with her dog. She then thought she heard she say someone was in the house. A few minutes later, she heard crying coming from Kernoodle's room. The housemate, whom investigators did not name, but they called her DM, then heard a man say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. 4.17 a.m., a security camera from a neighboring home picked up distorted audio of what sounded like a whimper and a loud thud. A dog can also be heard barking. The same um, roommate, DM, told investigators that she looked outside of her room after she heard the crying. And she saw a man clad in black clothing and a mask walking towards her. She said he was oh five God. foot or tall, five foot ten or taller, athletically built with bushy eyebrows, which investigators allege matched Koberger's physical attributes. She told police she didn't recognize the masked man. She froze as he walked past her toward a back door, and then she locked herself in the room. And the investigators say that they believe that she saw the killer leaving the house and that their investigation undercover, uncovered a shoe print that indicated he left on the path that um, had been described by DM. The housemate did not call 911 until just before noon after they woke up and found one of the victims, the police said. They did not provide any more details of the investigators' interviews with the housemates. Um, that housemate has also been said to have said that um, she was like in um, frozen shock. She was like, you know, whatever, like um, in shock, I guess. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Um, then the other another thing is that um they say that the attack appears to have been planned um and these these are like five things that we learned from the affidavit taken from a washington post article um i just the attack appears to have been planned. They said Koberger was near the victim victim's home at least 12 times between June and the day the four students were killed. They said that the cell phone records showed that. Um, also that it showed on the day of the killings, his phone left his residence in Pullman, Washington, which is just across the border. 
um, which is just six miles from Moscow, which is where this occurred, Moscow, Idaho, at 2.47 a.m. So they he leaves his house at 2.47 a.m. And then the phone stopped reporting to the network, which is what happens when a phone is turned off or put in airplane mode or has no service. Um, as we see on lots of crime shows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Suspects tend to turn them off thinking, oh, they won't be able to track me. Well, this no, guy they was a genius, right? He thought he right. was just Well, yeah, there. we're going to talk about all that. We're going to yeah. analyze some of this <laughs> when we get through it. Um. He also said a white Hyundai Elantra matching Koberger's car was seen passing the victim's house four times between 3.29 a.m. and 4.04 a.m. Four times in a half yeah. hour on the right before the killings, on the night of the killings. Surveillance footage showed this and that at 4.20 a.m., 16 minutes after arriving at the house, that same car was seen speeding away from the street. Uh, at 4:48, the phone became re- re- phone began receiving service again, reporting to a network the network um, from a highway near Moscow, traveling towards Poldman, where he lives. Um, he had he was working. What do we know about him? He was working, and I mean, he, he was going to school in his first semester at Washington State University. He had completed a master's program at DeSales University in Pennsylvania in June. And um, the cell phone records also indicate that he his trips, repeated trips to Moscow began in June and the murder happened in November. So then they also said that Koberger wanted to work at the police department, that he's got this master's degree in criminal justice and enrolled to get his Ph.D. in criminal justice at Washington um, and applied in the fall for an internship to the police department in Pullman. Um he said that he wanted to, quote, help rural police collect and analyze data, which is creepy. Yeah, super creepy. And then they also found the Reddit post from him asking people to participate in a survey in where he was seeking information on how to, under, quote, how to understand emotions and psychological traits influencing decision making when committing a crime. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that's been going around Reddit, and that has been nuts, right? Um, because he was asking, like, what were you thinking in the moments before, and what we, uh, yeah, so, um, which is interesting because as a PhD student, that's not the proper a Reddit forum, it's right? Not the proper type of research is that fall under the right protocol for research? Uh, like, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, not no, really. it doesn't, right? <laughs> no, it does not. Um, I think he was probably getting excited, like reading what the responses were and just like fueling his just psychotic behavior. Ugh. Okay. So how did people get turned on to, how did the police get turned on to Koberger to begin with? Um, um, the first came from the surveillance footage, right? So they were looking as we we have discussed in our in a, our unsolved mysteries episode that's also out this week. Um, why wasn't there any surveillance footage of that situation? Well, here there was, right? Yeah. So they captured this white sedan, quote, repeatedly circling the neighborhood between three twenty a.m. and four twenty a.m. 
um, and they tracked down the car to Pullman, Washington, about 10 miles away. Meanwhile, an FBI expert was able to identify the make and model and even narrow down the year range of the car. So they found it was a 2014 to 2016 white Hyundai Elantra. With that, they were able to quickly track down an owner who attended Washington State University, lived near the last place the car had been seen on the surveillance, which was Koberger. Um, so then they had his um, driver's license photo, which they said looked like the description that they were given, including the quote, bushy eyebrows. Um, and then of course, then they, that's when they started tracking his cell phone records. They have this picture now. And um, so at this point, they've got all of this strong circumstantial evidence tying him to the, and his white car to the crime. Right. So they have the surveillance cameras. They know it's him. They're driving around. But what was like the smoking gun in this case is the DNA that was found on the knife, empty knife sheath that had a trace that when they ran the DNA came back with a trace of just an unknown male. But then since they suspected him, they were able to they used a a procedure called that we that we (laughs) Um, family genealogy, genetic genealogy, something like that. Uh, excuse me, is what it is generally what it's called. Um, so what they did is they went to his uh, father. They they had surveillance at his father's house. Um, they got some trash from his house outside, um, and then they were able to get his DNA. Through that, that's where they use the genetic genealogy. So what it is, it's like a a genetic DNA matching and where they build out a potential like family tree for a suspect or like an unidentified missing person. This was used, the Golden State Killer, that's how they found out who he was. It's been used in a lot of of cases recently and it's been... um, I'm fascinated watching watching it's amazing. it work. Every time it's, I see it, it just oh my god. Which um, is like, I'm a big conspiracy theory, you know, person. Yeah. But I was very hesitant to submit my DNA to Ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy I did, but when you do that, just know like your DNA is there, and not that you would commit a crime, but you can be right. connected well, to any. Yeah, you know, I'm talk, yeah. There's a little. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 pretty interesting right now. It it it's there's only two genealogy websites that allow law enforcement to use DNA from their users. Mm. Like all the other ones don't allow it. It, cause that there was, there were laws and things. <laughs> right. Protection. So, so what happens is they build out the, they take the DNA from the known male, which was here in this case, his father, and they build out this D this, this potential family tree, whatever. Then they use clues and other like regular detective work. They follow the family tray tree and trace, which, member is the most likely to match the use of it apparently is controversial i didn't know it was controversial but my research for this <laughs> it is um there are only two and i guess it's probably for the privacy reasons only two genealogy websites that are jed that are called jed match and family tree dna allow law enforcement to use dna from their users and both are opt-in meaning that the user has to give explicit consent for the use um Though Jed Match is like encourages people and they're like, come on, you know. Um, and and there's ways of like if I I think mine's on like 23andMe or Ancestry. I don't I don't remember which one it's on, but oh, it's Ancestry. Mine's up in Ancestry. 
Um, I think if you've submitted to one of those, there's somewhere on GEDmatch that you can opt in to do it. I'm not entirely sure. I'll try to have it updated uh, on a future episode. Updated information on a future episode. Thank you. Um, so the um, Jed Match talked about how the, their genetic DNA matching is assisted in closing over 500 cold cases. Um, and it's used to solve crime. So, you know, there's all these like, you know, algorithms and things or whatever. So police were able to match the DNA on the knife sheath with DNA from Koberger's father gathered at the trash. And when that match was definitive, excluding 99.9% of the population from being the father of the suspect. Does that make sense? Um, they were able to connect it that way. Um, uh, meanwhile, <laughs> while we're all watching the news going what the hell is happening Koberger and his dad took a road trip from Washington to Pennsylvania license plate readers across the country mapped him traveling from state to state um, on December 15th they were stopped twice by Indiana patrol officers in a very short time span for tailgating um now, Were they following them just to for a well, reason pull them over? The what has come out, and I've seen this in multiple sources. So I'm I I I'm I think this is accurate versus some of the other rumors that are like a source told me, but I've seen this reported in multiple places. The FBI asked the Indiana police to pull them over because they wanted body cam footage of him to see if he had defensive wounds on his hands and arms. Which shocker. Which shocker he did. Right. <laughs> now, like I said, at first I was hearing that piece of information. The FBI asked them to pull him over. Um, first it was like, oh, one source, and then it was called back. It was backpedaled, and then I saw it on another source. So I don't know 100%. I would not say 100% that, that the FBI has confirmed that or anything. Um, I'm not totally uh, sold 100% on that, but it would make sense because – Everything else, it, it tracks with it, with the sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The way that the the very precise, measured like, nature of the way that they've been, they they clearly were doing their investigation in this case. So, well, yeah, when they suspected it was him, that they started surveilling his house. They started surveilled the car on the way back. They caught on the surveillance him scrubbing his car, um, wearing gloves, scrubbing his car, like head to toe, foot to like tops to tails, like everything. Like they were able to witness it um, during the surveillance is what I saw earlier on CNN. Um, that so. Why was he washing his car? Like what would that have mattered if he was just driving around outside of the house? Probably no. I mean, if if he got back in that car after he murdered them, oh right, right. Then there Duh. would be evidence yeah. from that that was on him that got into his car. Yeah. And if he's scrubbing, I, I imagine his... him like washing his car outside. I was oh. like, wait a second. That's <laughs> no, why I was like, uh, yeah, the the inside. Inside. Okay. You're like, Duh. why would it matter? To... Right. But if it rains, no. Yeah, like no, the inside, I suspect. Sense. <laughs> complete sense. It's late. Yes. So there's still a lot that we don't know. Um, 
And um, yeah, there's a lot that we don't know. Uh, oh, there's my document. Okay. Um, Gonzalo's father has been speaking a lot to the media and um at first he was like what's going on too like but then he started to understand i think there's more out there um and then he says that the coroner told him this the following information and i don't know if this is accurate or not right i don't i don't know where this came from i you know this is what he says i mean i don't have any reason to doubt him but i also don't have any reason to trust that this is completely accurate i want to see what the coroner said when it go, that's it's like hearsay through here but he says that the coroner told him that his daughter had more wounds than the others and therefore was maybe the target of mm. the situation and her stab wounds appeared like torn rather than stabbed like if it went in and was torn very like aggressive yeah but the what the coroner said was that that meant she would also bleed out fast and would have died very quickly and not like have a long drawn out death right huh. um so um yeah so we but that's what he, I, you know, that's not, we haven't heard that from the coroner. We, there's so much we don't know. We don't know what the uh, witnesses exactly heard and, and saw. Um, we, you know, they haven't released the 911 calls. They haven't released so much information. Um, but that is what we do know so far. We also, you know, we know he was a criminology student. We think that's a <laughs> My personal belief is that if this, if he is this guy, right, like he, it wasn't that the being a criminology student made him want to murder. It was that he was attracted to the criminology field because he has the psychotic murder, right. murder yes. tendencies. Um, I also think that, you know, he has said through his Pennsylvania public defender that his, um, he's confident he will be exonerated. Which, given what we've now seen, tells me like, oh, he thinks that he's smarter than everyone. He thinks he knows everything, like a narcissist, like a narcissistic trait. I'm not saying he's a narcissist. I think it's a narcissistic trait that you think you're smart, the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. Right. So he probably thought he didn't leave any DNA and this and that. And then, I mean, but his phone was tracking and his car and their surveillance. Like, is he that dumb? Yeah, absolutely. And he just thinks he he's that dumb, but thinks he's smarter than other people. Do you right? think that's why he has a public defendant? Because he's like, I don't need to spend the money on a private attorney because. Uh, well, no, I mean, I think the public defender was assigned to him. Right away. Right yeah. away. Yeah, because they the FBI did a raid on their house and, ah, and took him gotcha. in, I think, you know, for his first appearance there. I mean, it's not uncommon at all to have a have a public defender for your first yeah, appearance. Sense. And it's at that point that the judge can ask you, can you afford a lawyer? You know, yeah. this is you're, you could be facing possible misdemeanor, you know, or what felony or whatever, you know, can you afford a lawyer? No. Yes. You know. Now, is and the death penalty in Idaho? They do have the death penalty okay. in Idaho, yes. So that is a decision that prosecutors will have to make is, are they going to seek the death penalty on this? You know, I don't know what 
you know, every state that has the that carries the death penalty has a specific set of words that they use mm-hmm. um, for, um, you know, like special circumstances type of thing. I wonder, I, he's so arrogant and narcissistic in, in my mind that I wonder if he would even take a plea deal because he thinks he could get off. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like if they offered him prison sentence instead of going after the death penalty. Well, that's, that's, that's often I've, I've seen it used. They use that like in the Chris Watts case um, who murdered his pregnant wife and two daughters um, where Chris Watts murdered um, that, you know, they, they got, they dropped the death penalty in exchange for him test giving all the, you know, confessing to all the information they would give him life versus, mm-hmm. you know, dropping the death penalty. I, we've seen that used tons of cases. It's absolutely a bargaining tool. Um, and, and, you know, they haven't released any information about like that stuff, that next step yet. Um, but they have said, you know, because they do have the death penalty in Idaho. So that is a decision that's going to have to be made. I suspect we're going to hear more information about that as the case moves along. Now that he has made his first appearance in an Idaho courtroom, now that whole official process can start here. Um, one thing I want to comment on, too, is the he did not fight extradition. They arrested him in Pennsylvania and he did not. Um, fight the extradition to Idaho. And what is suspected, the reason why is because it wouldn't be until he was in Idaho in that system where they could unseal the arrest warrant and he could see what evidence they had against him. While he was in Pennsylvania, he would not have access to that information. And him being the I mean, there's Smartest any number of reasons. Yes, yeah, so any number of reasons why obviously he's going to want that information. But I suspect, you know, given that this guy seems like he thinks he's smarter than everybody else, whatever, he wants to know what they know. Yeah. And of course, any defend any defense attorney is going to want to know that, whatever. So, I mean, the reason you know for him actually doing that to me isn't any big deal. Um, doesn't really say anything to me about the the nature or the quality of the case or what he knows or doesn't know remember it's all alleged at this point it's he's innocent until proven guilty all of that and um i'm not i personally am not ascribing any additional weight to the fact that he waived extradition and wanted to know that information um i mean i don't practice criminal defense law but i would want that information because in criminal defense and in criminal law, the, the burden is on the prosecutor to prove their case. And like, you don't have to prove that your client is innocent. You have to show that there's reasonable doubt that mm-hmm. the prosecution's case is what it is. So the, it would be a strategy to just know, just refute what they have versus trying to, you're not presenting so a strategy of presenting the entire case per your client, you might be giving up information you don't need to give up necessarily. Yeah. Well, my question is, you've been doing all this research. Mm-hmm. What have you like read anything about what the motive would be besides I've heard rumors that he just wanted to kill to kill? I have there's there's been a speculation, but there is not 
a ton of talk about it. I think there's going to be more now that people will be able to analyze the the arrest affidavit more that they're getting more and more information on him and his past and how he grew up. And as they, the FBI profiler, the, like the star mm-hmm. FBI profilers that we see, like, I can't wait to hear Jim Clemente's take on this and Laura Richards, they, um, along with um, Lisa Zambetti do a podcast called real crime profile. Again, not an ad. I just love them. He's a former F- prosecutor and a former FBI profiler. And so is Laura Richards. You will see her on some of the on TV true crime stuff. She's British. She's a former uh, criminal profiler, too. So I would love to see what these kinds of people have to say about him, um, given what they know about him, you know, and then and there's not a lot of information out there where they can build victimology from the victims out to find it. But they, I think that there's a lot of information there with him um, that they could start putting profile together about maybe that would speculate on his motive. Um, Perhaps we're going to have more forthcoming information that will talk about that. Um, But there is not a lot out there right now of any, evidence that would suggest what it is but again here's another thing you don't need to prove motive prosecutors do not need to prove motive that's not an element of the crime that they have to prove so um i mean it helps a lot of juries like it right like if i'm sitting on a jury and i'm like it it helps (laughs) it it helps tell the story it'll help make you know it, it helps connect the dots sure you know um but it just it is not technically an element of the crime um and just like you know a a defense on the defense side you're you're you have to get the reasonable doubt that the prosecution's case is what it is um but strategically the defense attorney may choose to tell the entire story or the, you know however they want to present their defense there's you know that's a strategery a strategic decision um same thing with the prosecution you know about motive when you have evidence it's a are you know motive are you going to speculate is it theory you know if if you're just speculating is that going to hurt your rest of your case cuz you don't want to dilute your authenticity i don't know i don't know i don't do criminal law i'm not a prosecutor you know yeah so so i don't know what kinds of considerations necessarily would go into to that but i just based on you know um being a true crime lover aficionado researcher obsession whatever you want to call it um i just you know there there's lots of different reasons and lots of different ways you can present a story um so you know, given what we have, it's like there was nothing. And then now just this little bit of information gives us so much more of a picture that as they, and with all the information they still haven't released, can you just, I just can imagine the the wealth, like uh, the, the world of evidence that's going to be at this thing. Um, but if he pleads out, there won't be a trial. So I, but, I just, I don't know. I can see I the Dateline know. episode on this yeah. already though. Absolutely. And like we were talking about just his level of arrogance and he wasn't stupid. I mean, obviously he's intellectually intelligent. He has his master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes with these smart people, they don't have common sense or they, he's just narcissistic personality disorder. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I can't wait for them to start. Well, when people who have known him start to come out and talk to to the police about what's he what's he like people who went to school with him his professors things like that like all that's going to start to come out of, out of the woodwork right and my and guess is he was more of a loner type this <laughs> is my, my see the part of me is going to be like you know this is so sensationalized all these random people crawling out of the woodwork to get their 15 seconds of fame i knew this guy i shared a cab with him once on the way back and he said oh i'm gonna go kill these people you know I, I'm not I'm not encouraging that and I don't like that kind of thing, but um, I would be interested to see what comes out from like maybe his criminology professors, you know, um, and and how all that was. So uh, anyway, I am um, one one thing I've been seeing out there, too, is uh, people are like, why did it take her so long to call the 911? Wouldn't it be weird? Like you come out of your room at four o'clock in the morning and there's this guy in black wearing a mask. Like, wouldn't you call the police right away? Think back to when you were in college, if you did go to college and if you didn't try to just imagine it, like people, this is a house with six people in it, right? Yeah. That live there, like some random dude walking around wearing dark clothes. And what kind of mask was he wearing? We don't know. Right. We don't know. It doesn't specify what kind of mask he's wearing. It could be like a COVID and 95 mask. It could be, you know, Halloween. Who knows what kind of mask it was? It was also 430 in the morning. She was drinking, eating drunchies from yeah. Jack in the Box at 420. You know, my question is, why did he keep like leave her alone and leave? Did he want somebody to be alive? It's, well, he left the two people alive. Yeah. So what targeted, like he went into these specific rooms and killed these people. Was it, we don't know. That's the stuff that like, we don't know, like, how did he know these people? Like, we don't know any yeah. of that. We don't know how he was connected to them. We don't know why he'd been driving by. We don't know anything. And if it was like a rage killing, like if maybe one of the girls or guys did something to him, he, I feel like he would emotionally kill quick right like not wait months and stalk somebody like if you're Possibly. enraged i'd see like one of those like know. oh i got rejected on a dating app so i'm gonna go kill her type of type I, of guys yeah i don't know rejection that was my guess too maybe he was rejected by somebody one this of is what girls. women have to worry about this is yeah. what women have to worry about you we guys when and we reject like, somebody <laughs> this is what we worry about it's crazy mm -hmm. um no, it's just it's a crazy world out there. Yeah, I mean, and I mean we haven't we haven't heard hardly. I mean, what they've released about what the roommates have said has been very very minimal, and it was just enough to connect. There's just enough of their statements about him, about why they were connecting him, because the the probable cause affidavit is why they have a have a reason to arrest this particular guy. So they were connecting the, yeah. the stuff that, that was in there or that they released in there was connected to you know his connection to the house like things like that but it, the other things about maybe how he may have known them had he encountered them previously had he been rejected did he go on a date with one of them you know any did they have classes did they run into each other at a bar did is it somebody like Maybe he knew who they were, but they didn't know who he was because he was that quiet, loner, creepy guy. creepy guy in the corner at the bar, right? 
Um, they haven't released any of that kind of information, which obviously they're going to, you know, talking to the roommates, they're going to get some information about they did or didn't know this guy ahead of time. Um, and none of that's been released. So, and like, does it scare you? We talked about this a little bit, you know, your son is in college mm -hmm. and Kaya is a long way from going to college, but I just like the mother instinct in me mm -hmm. is just absolutely terrified to think that my child could be going away to school, like being a successful student and doing whatever, all these things. And then just to be viciously murdered in the middle of the night or morning, right. early morning, whatever, like it's just terrifying. Uh, it's terrifying yeah. to me. And yeah. it's like, you want to protect yourself, but you know, you're, you're talking about college kids. Okay. So maybe they did leave the door open, unlocked or whatever, or, mm -hmm. you know what? It's just, it scares me. It scares me. And those poor families uh -huh. and the fact that one person murdered four people with so to murder four people in in a house where there was very like a lot of people living there with a knife yes that's ballsy like that's like going into a house like that that is... many people and just oh yeah yeah that's yeah. crazy it's just so sad yeah um so that's where we're at now um I mean, there's a lot of speculation now, obviously, based on what we do know. Um, there will continue to be more speculation. Um, I, at this point, you know, we'll just continue to await official information, and I, you know, we'll we'll update um, as we, you know, as it happens, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's where we're at now. But what happens now is um normal court process i guess takes place and and i'm not sure what the timing of all that is but um you know he just got back to idaho made his first court appearance and so i'm sure we will be hearing about the next ones and the next steps soon so that is where we have now that is what we know as of september or september january 6 2023 <laughs> um and that's it. That's all we got. Thanks for listening. Hey, fraudcasters. You know, I used to find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. They were the first thing to take off when I got home. But Skims has changed all that. You guys know I love my Skims Fits Everybody t-shirt bras. I own them in just about every shade now. I wear them every single day when I leave the house and they are completely worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I was not expecting from them was how comfortable they are. Even the underwire bras that I wear all day, I barely even notice. Definitely not the first thing I take off when I come home anymore. Y'all, I'm a 36 double D and I've had a reduction and I've gone up and down and lost weight and gained weight and all the things. And the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, I swear, fits me the best. I finally found a t-shirt bra that I can wear, but not only that, it is the best bra that I own. It holds the girls in so well. And let me just say, Hetero Life Mate really appreciates these bras too. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes from a 30A to a 46H. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $75. And if you haven't yet, please be sure to let them know that we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show, The Fraudcast, in the drop-down menu that follows.